You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. These things are bound to affect you in a profound way. And the profound way that I'm, that I'm referring to is that your life is going to be transformed. You're not going to be the same person that you once were. If any man or woman be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's just the, the fruit of your conversion experience and being born again of the Spirit of God and God planting His seed in you. Those things are bound to affect you in an extremely profound way. If you claim to have experienced Christ, but your life looks exactly the same as it did before, you need to make sure that it was really Christ you experienced. As Pastor Mike will explain in today's message, when you come to faith in Jesus, you aren't going to be perfect, at least not from man's perspective. You'll still fall into sin, but you won't be okay with it. You won't stay there. When Christ comes into your heart, He brings light to the ways that your life dishonors God and begins refining you into His likeness. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he begins his message, Sin and the Child of God. John chapter 3 verses 6 through 10 and this evening's message the title is sin and the child of God part 2 so sin and the child of God part 2 so let's go ahead and read that text of scripture 1st John chapter 3 beginning in verse 6 whoever abides in him that is Jesus does not sin whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him little children let no one deceive you He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So once again, sin and the child of God, part two. Now, first of all, let me begin by saying this passage of scripture that serves as our text this evening is notoriously one of the most controversial passages in all of the New Testament. So you ask yourself the question, well, why is that? Well, think about this. John, you know, at first glance, 
is John teaching, and this brings us to our first point, sinless perfection. Is that what John is referring to? Sinless perfection. Is John suggesting that the Christian life can be perfect, can be delivered altogether from sin, not only in act, but also in thought, desire, and mind? Well, my answer to that question is absolutely not. I don't think so. And let me tell you why. First of all, and and to do this, I, I want you to consider a couple of things. First of all, let's consider some grammatical aspects of this text of Scripture. Let's go back to it now. The verbs which are used in this section are present and continuous. They're in the present and continuous tense, which describes character and prevailing habit rather than particular acts of sin. Like, for example, go back to verse 6. A more accurate translation of verse 6 would read, whosoever keeps on doing and practicing sin hath not seen him, neither knows him. So do you see the difference in the verbiage that's being used here? That is, whosoever continues in sin, keeps on doing, keeps on practicing sin, has not seen him, neither knows him. Let me give you another example. Let's go back to our text in verse 9. There we read, a more accurate translation would be, the one begotten of God, that is, someone who is born again, does not keep on sinning. It doesn't say that he'll never sin ever again, but rather John is suggesting that the one who is born of God does not keep on continuing in sin because God's seed abides in him, and thus he is not able to keep on sinning. So do you see the difference there? So I believe what John is referring to here is a state or habit about people who keep on doing, keep on practicing sin. John is emphasizing here that which really matters. What really matters? What we are. That's John's focus, what we are. Simply, the man or woman who is righteous will show that by living a righteous life. The one who is not righteous shows it by not living a righteous life. And basically, I think that's what John is sharing with us here. That is where his reference to the devil is so significant. Go back to verse 8 for a moment. Notice in the first part of verse 8, he says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. You see, that was the chief characteristic of the devil. That was just simply a part of his nature, his habit, his way of living. This is the things that are true of the devil. He sins from the beginning and just simply keeps on sinning. And the man, John says, who goes on sinning after taking the name of Christ or claiming to have taken the name of Christ is therefore the man who is proclaiming that he has the same kind of nature the devil has. That is, if he, if he continues in his sin, if nothing's changed in his life. 
He does not have the new nature that the Christian has. And he shows it how? By continuing in his sin. So I suggest to you, therefore, that those considerations taken together, all of what I've just said, persuade us that John is not here considering individual acts of sin at all, because that would be a doctrine of sinless perfection. And that's, what, that's not what John is talking about here. Rather, John is referring to a general state, a prevailing condition. So if I was to sum up someone who, who, have, who suggests that he is a Christian, taking the name of Christ, who claims to be born again of the Spirit of God, right, and continues in the same manner that he did before claiming to be a Christian, claiming to be born again of the Spirit of God, right? You know, that tells us exactly who he is. He's not of the Lord, but he's rather of the devil. Thus, the apostle is referring to here then, and this brings us to our second point, the general tenor of life as a Christian. The general tenor of life as a Christian. So, if you're truly born of God, if you are a child of God, if the seed of God has entered you, that's the word that John uses here, I'll explain that in a moment, then these things are bound to affect you in a profound way. And the profound way that I'm, that I'm referring to is that your life is going to be transformed. You're not going to be the same person that you once were. If any man or woman be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's just the, the fruit of your conversion experience and being born again of the Spirit of God and God planting his seed in you. Those things are bound to affect you in an extremely profound way. You will be unlike the person who has not been born again. The characteristic of men and women in their natural state is that they are like the devil. I mean, go back to your B.C. days before Christ. What was the tenor, the general tenor of your life as an unbeliever? And the characteristic of the evil nature is that they go on sinning. They dwell in sin. And that's the way you could sum up my life before my conversion experience. I just continued in sin. And I dwelt in sin. I delighted in, in sin. I gravitated towards sin. The whole atmosphere of that life is one of sin continuing, continually, right? This is, but this is not true of those who have been born again. We have been lifted out of the realm of sin. We've been translated into the kingdom of light. Our whole level of existence now is one of righteousness and holiness. Isn't that exactly what God is trying to do within our lives? Right? He's not going to leave us the way that we once were after he actually plants that seed within him, after we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't be one with uh, any other type of a person. But the fact that we are saved does not mean we are sinless and absolutely perfect. So don't misunderstand where I'm going with this message. And yet, we are essentially different from unbelieving sinners. You see, the seed of God abides in us, and that makes it quite impossible to continue to live in 
sin, right? And we, talked, we were talking a little bit about this on Sunday, right? And, and I raised the question, well, you know, why do we feel as if our, we need to deal with our sin? I, I, thought, I, I think I phrased it in the form of uh, the question about why are you here this morning? You know, after, uh, I'm sure, a, a full week of work and, you know, what in the world would drive us here on a Sunday morning, early on a Sunday morning, you know, when we could be resting or at home or taking care of 900 other things that we need to, to take care of. And so that we can have fellowship and communion with God as we honor him, but, you know, come to receive of him, that our lives might be changed, that our lives might be transformed into the image of, of his son, right? Through the study and the teaching of the word. We've come to worship the Lord. Those are the things that God has placed within us, Right? For it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what the book of Philippians tells us, right? So uh, the seed of God abides in us, and that makes it quite impossible to continue to live in sin. We, we, just, we, we feel terrible about that when we're convicted of sin. Remember, we were, we were talking about this again on Sunday, and I use myself as an example of this. More than any other person, I should no better than anyone else. And yet, when I, when I do sin, or when I say an, un, uh, an unkind word to someone, or, or I think something badly about someone else, or, or whatever, I think at that moment, man, you know, how can I, you know, who, who have all of this wisdom and knowledge and, and information about what God's plan and, and, you know, for my life, and how can I sin? And, and, but that's God that's placed that within me, that conviction of God's Holy Spirit. And I hate it. It really bothers me. And I confess my sin, and then I get rid of it. And praise the Lord for that. God has made uh, a way for us to be able to do that. So yes, we fall into sin occasionally, but we don't stay on the ground, right? We, we, we pick ourselves up, brush ourselves off, we know we have sinned, we hate that we've sinned, we repent before God, we confess, and the blood of Jesus Christ, according to chapter 1 and verse 9, cleanses us from all sin, and then we go on walking in the light. We make the necessary adjustments that we need to make. You see, but it's God who prompts us to do that. He puts that desire within our hearts. It's, it's a burden, the burden of sin, right? And uh, we become angry with ourselves at times. So this text, anyway, doesn't mean that we are in a state of sinless perfection, but thank God it does mean we know we are new men and women. We know there is a seed of righteousness in us. We cannot live as we lived before. Why? because we've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. And it's so important that we have this kind of knowledge, uh, even by experience, because this is something that will prevent you from falling into temptation, right? God is holding us to a higher standard. We should also hold ourselves to a higher standard. Now, there's one other important truth that I want to draw your attention to here, and that brings us to our third point, and that is the seed of God. And I mentioned that I was going to touch on this. 
Let's go back to that word in verse 9c, because that word is, I think, pretty significant. What was John referring to when he, when, he, when he uses this word seed? Well, I think that the word seed has to do with God's methods, God's plan, God's work in every, in every realm and aspect of our lives. And also, let me add that this is a continuous work. It began on the day of our conversion experience and continues right up until the time when Christ comes back for his church. So it's a progressive, continuous work, okay? And we need to understand and recognize that as well. In the realm of nature, for example, let me use this as an illustration. You sow the seed, but it may take weeks. It may take months, perhaps years, before you get to full bloom. I mean, you put that little apple seed in the ground, and it's years before it grows into a tree and it produces fruit on that tree, right? And so it is with God's work of sanctification in our lives. You know, the processes of God, sanctifying us, setting us apart, cleansing us from our sin, creating within us the new man, the new woman, as I've already uh, mentioned. And so it is with God's work of sanctification in our lives. It doesn't happen immediately. Don't you wish it did? You know, you just confess Christ, you're born again, you accept him into your life as your Lord and Savior, and all of a sudden you become the super Christian. But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Because think about this. The Bible consistently describes the Christian in terms of growing and developing. Isn't that true? Here's a cross-reference in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. In other words, we haven't arrived yet. The word perfection can also be translated maturity. It's a part of a process. It's the workings of God's Holy Spirit within the life of a believer. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. We're growing in our understanding. We're growing in our walk. We're growing in our relationship with the Lord. So the Bible consistently describes the Christian in terms of growing and developing. It is a process, and we have to interpret this text in that light. And also, if you think about it, go back to chapter 1 and verse 8. And if we didn't see it in terms of growing and developing then we would actually deny what John has already told us in chapter 1 and verse 8. Because he wouldn't have included in verse 8, notice what it says in chapter 1, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So there you have it, right? So we have to grow. We have to deal with sin within our lives. Now, i got to tell you something. I get pretty excited about when I read verses of Scripture like this. I read this text of scripture and it gives me that desire to want to purify and cleanse myself. I am encouraged. I am a child of God. He has planted his divine seed in me. How cool is that? Not only in me, but in each and every one of you. All of you are here this morning. I, I know every one of you. Uh, there's no strangers here amongst us this evening. And I know that God has planted his seed within you, that you have been born again of the Spirit of God. And that's exciting, right? God is working in you. 
God is working in me, those processes that I had mentioned just a moment ago. And he will go on working, and he will bring it to perfection one day. In the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, in verse 6, being confident of this very thing. Now, you can, you know, you can take stock in this. It's like money in the bank. You can be sure of this. This is not something that is a variable, like, isn't going to happen, isn't going to happen. Now, you know, the devil will come along and, and whisper in your ear, you're never going to become what God wants you to become. You might as well just throw in the towel. Forget about it. You know, it might work, this Christianity thing might work for someone, you know, on this side of the room, but it's not going to work for you on that side of the room, you know? No, no. God is committed to complete the work that he's begun in each and every one of you. So hang on to that. Don't allow the enemy to come, the devil, and whisper in your ear and tell you otherwise and discourage you and trying to stick that wedge between you and, and God and your fellowship with him. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because when we blow it, and you will blow it in the future, now I'm not giving anybody license to blow it, but you can be sure you're going to start entertaining the idea, oh, man, I can't believe that I did that. You know, I'm, just, I'm never going to get around to dealing with that area of my life. Is Christianity, does it really work for me? It might work for other people, but I don't know if it's really working for me, right? Seeking to alienate you from God. So this is something that I think that we really need to be aware of. So he will go on working, and he will bring it to Perfection. Okay, so with that said, I guess we ought to talk about, okay, how does he do this work? How does he do this work within the life of a believer? How does he do this work? How does God accomplish these things in my life and in yours? Well, simply, he does this by opening our minds and our understanding to spiritual truths, right? As he's reasoning with us. You know, the Bible tells us, come now, let us reason together, you and I, say it the Lord. And every time we put ourselves in a place, in a position where God can speak to us, like, for example, this evening, he's reasoning with us, you see. He's encouraging us to go forward, to go on, right? He's addressing those areas of our lives. He's putting hope within our hearts and in our minds. He revealed sin and the nature of sin. And the effect of sin is we deal with these subjects. Like, for example, on Sunday, we're going to be talking about the consequences of sin. And uh, because when you think about it, sin, the, the offer of sin, uh, the immediate offering of sin is always fulfillment and satisfaction, right? That's one of the, uh, the ploys that the devil uses to entrap you and to cause you to sin, right? And, and so it's an offer of fulfillment and satisfaction. Father's house, there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We invite you to connect with Pastor Mike and listen to more teachings from God's Word by visiting harvestnyc.org. At our website, you'll learn all about his ministry and the church it stems from, Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd love you to join us for worship this Sunday at 11 a.m. 
You can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, though, or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out the link under Resources for One Place. Just click on the earphones to listen in. You can also watch other services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. How can we be praying for you right now? Feel free to fill out the contact form at harvestnyc.org. We're honored to lift you up to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.